I put my shades on there. Okay. Uh, better to block out the world. The better to... I have a special pair of shades here that filter out all the bad news. There's plenty of bad news around. Yeah. Speaking of bad news, <laughs> I'm here. So be calm, friends. Just relax. And uh, put your knee up there so I can do a little testing here. Oh, look at that guy. This is a very nice. <laughs> your reflexes are groovy, honey. Did you like that? You, <laughs> you really did, didn't you? 
Uh, you just can't. No substitute for talent. Uh, flip that over. We'll try the other side there. I just feel like that tonight. Then before we... Uh, can't figure out why this thing hums. Let me just a minute. Let me try something here. There, that takes care of it. That's starting again. It's in this monitor box, Jerry. There. Okay, I've killed the hum. <laughs> hey, George. When will I stop building this station out of Heath kits? Now, before we uh, go back into the culture department, I'd like to salute. I'd like to salute a young lady here, Rio de Janeiro, Rio de Janeiro, Ivanilda Pereira Rodriguez. Ivanilda Pereira Rodriguez <laughs> was making a call from a phone booth when police patrolman Paulo Antonio da Concheco stepped up to a VW and began writing an illegal parking ticket. She hung up, jumped in a car, and roared off, leaving him still scribbling away on the ticket. The patrolman flagged the taxi and said, I follow the car! I follow the car! Quick! Fellow police joined the chase in a squad car, which finally cut off Ivanila at an intersection. A patrolman, Concheco, jumped from the cab and immediately deflated Ivanila's front tires. But she locked herself in the car and refused to display her driver's license and began to hurl epithets at the cop. A crowd gathered, and within a few minutes, thousands of persons jammed the midtown intersection. Millions, thousands, office workers. <laughs> Here's a nice touch, a nice Latin touch. Office workers began bombing the throng from high above out of their offices with bags of water. Attorney Jose Hattelo appealed to the police to let Ivanil to go. He was then immediately arrested and thrown on the paddy wagon. After a three-hour standoff, riot police arrived <laughs> along with a tow truck. They hauled the Volkswagen with Ivanila still locked in it in the police station and charged with what the police said was insulting a behavior and unseemly language. Ivanila is in the can tonight. Now, let's sing all together now, friends. It's time for inspirational songs. Oh, there ain't no way to win, I tell you. There ain't no way, there ain't no way to really win. You take what you get, you win, sometimes you lose. You lose in the end, I tell you. There ain't no way, there ain't no way to win. Oh, baby, I know to me, but you ain't touching me down there where it hurts. Oh, I tell you, baby, there ain't no way Bye. 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 Bye.
Hold it there, hold it there, hold it there. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know why I feel like that tonight. Listen, there's one other thing I want to bring out here before we get uh, too deeply involved in cultural activities. What do I do with it here? Let it
And uh, we have with us tonight a sponsor, which surprised many of you, but we do. And it's, a, it's an elegant sponsor. For those of you who don't know the Mandarin House in the Village, shame on you. It's at 133 West 13th Street between 6th and 7th Avenues. And it really is a great restaurant. And by the way, it's a very interesting street. If you don't know uh, that area down there, you ought to really see it. It's, uh, it's on 13th Street between 6th and 7th. Real nice. And uh, they have an outdoor dining room. It's real beautiful, really great. If you, if you love giant Buddhas looking at you while you're eating your egg rolls, and they have uh, lanterns hanging down and exotic Chinese uh, decor. And it's really kind of great, you know. Uh, but <laughs> nevertheless, if you, if you would like to have really good Chinese cooking, we would like to suggest the Mandarin House. Prices are moderate. Mandarin House in the Village, 133 West 13th Street, between 6th and 7th Avenues in the Village. And their phone number, you should call for a uh, reservation, Watkins 90551. They're open very late, too, if you're down the village. Hey, do you need uh, tires, you tire fans? Uh, see the Tire Pro at your local General Tire headquarters for all of your car needs. The tires, of course, from sports cars to sedans, compacts to king-size, even dictator-sized cars. General Tire makes the tires you need and at prices that are easy to afford. Now, you can choose from rayon cord tires, nylon cord tires, puncture sealing tires, steel belted radial tires, fantastic collection, and you get your choice of black wall, pink wall, or white wall design. Some even has raised white letters for that beautiful sporty look of today. You can have your own name, you know, and a whole bit. So uh, General Tire's time-proven method of tire recapping, they also have some great recaps down there. That's all at your local General Tire headquarters with a big red General Tire G has stood for, of course, fantastic quality for over 57 years. In Newark, or Newark if you prefer, ask for Ben Robinson or Phil Pizzolato at General Tire Service, 857 Freelinghausen Avenue. College students, are you interested in becoming involved in the drug scene? If you are now enrolled in a community college or have recently graduated from any college science program, you may now easily transfer into a career in the health sciences. If you would like an opportunity to earn a good salary and be a healthier community at the same time, then why not consider the modern profession of pharmacy? There is an urgent need for qualified pharmacists as vital members of the health team in the community, in hospitals, and in many areas of drug research. Students with at least one year's college science courses may now transfer to the College of Pharmaceutical Sciences, Columbia University, and receive their pharmacy degree from Columbia in as little as three years. To get into the fall term, contact the Director of Admissions, College of Pharmaceutical Sciences, 115 West 68th Street, New York, or telephone 787-0600. That's 787-0600. Don't worry, I'll get back to the story of the opera. Don't worry, I'm not going to lose that one. But I did, I did the zoo opera, and it was all over the country, it was on the network, you know. And they had these great opera singers. I'll, I'll tell you the story. They had great opera singers like Roberta Peters. And, uh, you know, the really top, top singers. And uh, they came from the Met. And I would get backstage. See, I'd know them all. And I'd be back there. I'm, I'm the commentator. So every, every night when the zoo opera would, would begin, uh, whatever we would be doing, say, uh, Aida, or uh, they did all the, you know, standard repertoire. In fact, a lot of uh, very exotic operas, too. Among them, they did uh, 
uh, Vocek, which is a fantastic opera by Schoenberg, or Alvin Berg, rather. It was Berg's opera, Vocek, and a uh, fantastic opera. And uh, I, I uh, of course, I'm doing the commentary, and so in between acts, uh, the big roar of applause, and I would say, you've just heard the elegant bell oratorio sung by Lucia de Lammermoor. And tonight, the uh, elegant first night audience is filing out and uh, we have here in the green room, well, one night, see, remember, they're in the zoo doing this. Got it? It's being broadcast all over the country. It's being fed to the network. And uh, it was at night. All the zoo opera performances were at night. Wonderful. Uh, if you ever go out to Cincinnati, you really, you really should go to it. It's uh, great. You know, speaking of, uh, speaking of, of things, just little, little things that happen in town, uh, uh, a lot of people go to a city wherever the city is, and they don't, they don't really get the flavor of that city. Uh, like, take New York here, for example. People, people come to this town for two weeks, and I, I really feel sorry for them. I mean, they, they go through the, you know, the usual guided tour bit, and, uh, and, uh, which is all right, you know, that you kill three hours, and you see, you, you know, you see the city physically. But uh, uh, there's, a, there's a feel to a city when you live in the city that uh, no tour can ever possibly give you. And Cincinnati is a great case in point. And that if you want to feel Cincinnati, you've got to go to the Zoo Opera on a, on a nice, warm July or August night and uh, sit out there. And, of course, everybody's dressed in the summer. And, and they're really beautiful. It's lovely. And uh, you just, just feel it's, it's an it's a indescribable feeling. Because, first of all, if you love opera, and anybody who's ever really seen opera always automatically falls totally ape over it. I, and, uh, opera is, is, is like... Uh, Almost like total theater. It is total theater. It, uh, it, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole experience. And if you've only listened to opera, well, that's like saying, well, I listen to the movies a lot. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's kind of silly. Because uh, opera is a visual, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a total experience. Even the audience is part of it. It's a very odd, curious feeling. And some of the great moments in the theater that I've had as an audience have been in uh, have been in the opera house, not in the theater very much. Oh, occasionally something will come along that really is theater, but that's very rare, particularly on Broadway. I think the last thing that I've seen that uh, that I that impressed me is is really great theater was Murat Saad. Uh, did you see that when it was here in town uh, on Broadway? You know, you know the thing I'm talking about. Oh, fantastic theater, really. But uh, there's a big difference between uh, the kind of stuff which is usually done on Broadway, which is uh, really just sort of uh, high-priced uh, TV situation comedy type, you know, Neil Simon stuff, you know. Uh, you know, if you like that kind of stuff, I'm not going to rip it out of your hands and yell, but uh, <laughs> it ain't theater. Uh, you know, if you, if you enjoy really theatrical experiences, uh, they, they don't come very often. And maybe that's why you never can buy a seat to the opera. Uh, because, man, it, it, uh, it, it's a shattering thing sometimes. But anyway, this night was a great moment. Uh, this, uh, <coughs> this very, uh, very highly charged tenor. In fact, this tenor, the, the tenor, I will not give you his name, but uh, this tenor uh, was a very uh, emotional type. And a very good tenor, by the way, and he's sung many times in the Met. In fact, is currently with the Met. And uh, he had fantastic range. And uh, he just looked, though, when you got close to this guy, he just looked like he was uh, had a very short fuse. 
that uh, you know you, you pop his cork with the slightest opportunity. So in fact, about two weeks before that, this same guy had done Carmen, and he was singing the uh, and he'd come out on a stage. You know, he had this this costume and his sword rattling and all that stuff, and it was a gigantic lady playing Carmen, and she was about a foot and a half taller than he was, and a very tough lady, and a very famous singer, but a very tough lady. And uh, she, you know, she just, uh, the, the, when, the, when, the, when she was on stage, that was what the whole show was about. I mean, forget it. Anybody else there. So when they would be singing a duet, you know, there's a lot of duets in the Carmen. You know, he's singing about how he's going to kill himself and that she's going to run away with cigarette girls and all that jazz. And they're singing, and with that, she would swing around like that and she would hit him. She would knock him, literally knock him back. You know, so, so he would be behind her while they're singing a duet. Well, he, and I'm looking right down at this scene. So on the, on the great night in question, he finally had enough of it, see? And there's a scene where he kills her. You, you know, it's a famous scene. Well, he practically did. In fact, he lunged he, he at her. She She jumps back. He knocks her flat. So he caught her off guard. And, and, he, and with that, he hurled her off stage. She, she literally flew off. Like, out down in the apron of the stage. Well, down comes the curtain. See, it's the end of the act. And here she is. She's outside. Well, <laughs> well, I want to tell you, there's, a, there's some exciting moments in the opera. But uh, on this one night, here he is. He's singing a completely different opera now. I think it's a Barber of Seville or something. And they, yeah, that's, in fact, that's what it was. And he's got this uh, this fake razor, you know, he's shaving the guy. You've probably seen the Barber of Seville, see, and, and the basso is sitting in the, in the, yes, of course, I assume that you've seen all these things. And, and uh, the basso is sitting in the chair, and uh, he's all dressed up in his costume, and he's got this white cloth around him. And uh, there's, he, he's dancing around, Figaro, Figaro, Figaro. And, and with that, suddenly, off stage, came this curious son. He's singing this aria. And he's out in front there, and he's singing, moaning, he's singing this beautiful... All of a sudden, you hear off stage, oop, 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 And they were doing it in the beat of the music. It was a fantastic moment. Oop, oop. And he'd go, oop, 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 And he stopped in the middle of his aria at about you know, five minutes of this fantastic counterpoint. He just stopped. And the orchestra continues, you know, sort of piddling out there, squeaking away with their fiddles, and they sort of stop there. He, he's up on the stage. He's looking around. Dead silence. There I am. I'm uh, sitting up in the booth. They say, well, I have to fill up. I says, uh, there seems to be a uh, slight technical difficulty. Uh, the uh, Barbara of Seville will continue in just a few moments. Uh, uh, the uh, technical difficulty will be corrected. It's on stage. Well, of course, what I wasn't saying is this guy's walking around. He thinks somebody's out in the audience kneeling him. He thinks they're putting them on out there. He thinks that somebody's giving them the business. See? Well, the, 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 the conductor, who was Fausto Claver, by the way, very fine conductor, he goes... You know, they start out and they start to sing again. Well, that turned them on again instantly. See, we're quiet when he stopped. And he says, They start yelling. It's the seals. Well, he stopped again in the middle of the area and he starts to bark. 
He's barking back at the seals. He goes, whoop, whoop, whoop. And the seals start barking. Well, I just want to tell you, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was one of the high points in my cultural life. Uh, somehow, opera came alive, and he barked at the seals and refused to go on. He says, I will not continue. I will not continue. I will not continue with the seals after that. What the kind of things that you cannot sing opera with the seals barking like that? And he's up on the stage yelling. I do it pretty well, don't I? Well, at that point, <laughs> well, I'm an actor. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta accept that reality. So at that point, you know, he says, I will not have to continue. I will not have to go on. And uh, you can hear a lot of people laughing backstage, which was the chorus. See, the chorus is always needling the stars in the opera world. Yeah, they always, uh, you always figure that uh, you know, you're there, but for the luck of having a good agent go, I, I could have been out there singing the the main aria from the Barber Seville, but here I am back in the chorus, heading with the end on the wings. And then uh, you hear him laughing. He got mad at that. So he runs over and says, I went out that sadness, what a kind of thing. And of course, you hear the whole crowd, that's 2,000 people sitting there. This guy's throwing a fit. And then the lions started. <laughs> Offstage lions. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, that zoo uh, is a curious zoo. Now remember, this is the same zoo where this guy just was doing all the yelling at the apes. And I would not, sus I, I don't know, they don't tell me what the, the guy does for a living. I suspect he may be an opera singer. I mean, uh, because a lot of those opera singers get very mad. And the ducks would start some nights. See, the animals would, would take turns. Uh, some nights it was the seals. Some nights it would be, you'd hear the ducks. Quack, 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 And about 50 ducks would all start going. They'd go in like a chorus. Quack, 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 That does not help Aida. No way. I mean, when, you know, when the pharaoh is up there singing away and and the tomb is being opened and they're being closed or whatever the hell it is they do, and the soldiers come marching on stage to the sound of offstage ducks. It just kind of reduces Verdi's whole idea. And so, when you, when you, <laughs> I saw, you know, it's funny when you, when you talk about animals and, and zoos, uh, they, they, uh, they, they, they tend to see, take, partake of the, of the atmosphere that they're in. Uh, an animal in a zoo, not, not all of them. Some of them just soak a great deal. Well, of course, that's true of us. I mean, I know a lot of soakers. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, speaking of uh, Ferraris and the Italian uh, tanners, we would like to bring up a little uh, cultural note for those of you who are interested in... Uh, in uh, hello, there goes that home. There we go. I don't mess around with equipment. Years ago, I learned where to hit stuff to make it go. And uh, that's... Uh, We'd like to salute the uh, the Italian mind, which is uh, really interesting. Monte, Monte Silvano, Italy. It's a very elegant town, by the way. Newspaper seller Gravino Agostini. Uh, wait a minute. Gravino Agostinoni has invented what he claims is the world's first completely automatic spaghetti machine. Agostinoni has already built a prototype, an automatic spaghetti machine. Look at this. He pours flour and water in one end. And 20 minutes later, the machine produces 40 portions of cooked spaghetti served on paper plates with containers for sauce and Parmesan cheese and a conveyor belt to carry the plates. The machine produces a ready-to-eat helping of Italy's favorite food, untouched by human hands. It's marching. The slob world is marching. It's hitting Italy now. It's got an automatic machine. By the way, uh, speaking of, uh, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't finish the story, did I? What story did not finish? 
<laughs> about the outdoor restaurant. Didn't I mention what I was doing? The, the, the thing here, I was going to tell you about what terrible thing happened to me one time in an outdoor restaurant. Well, you know, you know, outdoor restaurants, you've been in them, you know, the little places with the, uh, usually here in, in uh, New York, if you, uh, by the way, that brings up a point. If you ever go out to Cincinnati and, and you're there in the summertime, try to see the zoo opera. It's, it's, it's unique, really. And uh, you've got to go to Mecklenburg's, too, which is another place where all the opera singers go afterwards, and that's, uh, you know, something else. But uh, in New York now, uh, for example, uh, you know, people go into the same things over and over again. And uh, do you know what happens, for example, down on Sunday afternoon? Jerry, you, you live in the village. Sunday afternoon, you know where you, you know your father's mustache down there? Where they have all that uh, corny Dixon and stuff all during the week. Well, you know, Sunday, they're closed. They don't have the ordinary stuff there, at least during the day. Well, at, at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, now this is a really New York thing. At 3 o'clock, or therefore, yes, around that time of the day, uh, on a Sunday afternoon, uh, a lot of New York people, just New York types in the village, all sort of drift into this joint. And some of the most fantastic sounds they have, well, all I can say is you've got to go down and hear it, that's all. And it's New York all the way. There's no way a tourist could ever you know, make that scene. It's a separate, completely, it's a total New York experience. Now, you know where that is, don't you, Jerry? That's uh, 7th Avenue and 10th, isn't it? Yeah, 7th and 10th. Yeah. And it is, it is not the beer and pretzel scene that they have, you know, usually during the week. Totally different scene. All right, now, now that's what I mean about you, you have to, that there are certain things that, that give you the taste of the city that you cannot get through uh, the guidebook. No guidebook has this stuff. Because a lot of this stuff comes and goes and disappears. It'll be there for a moment. A couple of weeks later, it quietly disappears. And, uh, in fact, you know, uh, the outdoor cafe scene is now very big here in New York in a lot of ways. Uh, and, uh, of course, that, that can be very exciting, especially when the, when, the, uh, when the air pollution quality is very big, you know. And, uh, yeah... <laughs> In fact, uh, when you when you for for you know you've been eating this hamburger, you think it's made out of onion rolls, and uh, you know you're eating away there, and then suddenly so you discover it's not, it's not an onion roll at all. It's just a lot of soot all over the top of it. You know. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I remember one day I was sitting sitting in a in an outdoor cafe with a friend of mine from the Voice, the Village Voice. We're sitting there talking away. They say we got we got talking. See, and uh, they served the stuff, and then we had gazpacho, right? You know what is gazpacho? Well, you know this cold soup. See. And uh, they served this gazpacho. So we're sitting here talking. Well, we, we were really deeply involved. See, and the waitress came over. She put the, put the gazpacho down in front of us. And uh, we were talking away. And we must have been talking about 15 minutes. We didn't even touch the soup yet. See, that was cold soup, you know. So we're talking away. Finally, Ed looks down the soup. He says, what, what the hell's in this soup? He said, I don't want no pepper in a soup like this. But I looked at my soup. I said, that don't look like pepper, Ed. Oh, wait a minute, that's right. <laughs> well, it was Jersey crud, you know. I've been just drifting down. We had a fine coating of Jersey crud all over the soup. you got to eat very fast. Now, that's part of the, the, the New York Sea. You get used to that. So, anyway, one night in a restaurant, which I will not name, I, I went to... See, a lot of the outdoor places in, in New York restaurants are in the back of the restaurant. They're not out in the front. They're in the back, you know, the backyard type thing. And... Uh, <laughs> 
And I, I, it was a very elegant date, see, and, and I go to this place and I'll dress in a very, quite a, quite a, a very expensive joint, you know. And uh, out in the back there, this guy, and somebody sits down, we're sitting there, and they bring the steaks and stuff, and, and uh, it's uh, candlelit, the whole jazz, and it's, uh, it's nice and warm in summertime. It's really kind of great to be outdoors and, and in, the, in the yard, uh, out in the back of the restaurant, the outdoor. And all of a sudden, there's a wild scene, all of a sudden, something just lands in the middle of all of us. Just pow, it goes like that. So it bounces all over the... Somebody's throwing a beer can. And the beer can flies down and lands in the, <laughs> the table. <laughs> I look up, <laughs> and all around us were these, were these dark apartments. You could see the, the tower up above the restaurant. And, and they were heckling the people who were down here eating in the, you know, in the, in the classy joint. And they keep throwing stuff down. They keep throwing the pop bottles, you know, the Yoo-Hoo can bounces down among us. And a guy opens the door up the window. You hear, hey, I'll say, I'll play, I'll do what you're throwing at the hallway. You call it a girl. They're yelling at us. And so we're all sitting there, you know, eating the steak. And uh, it's just, uh, it's just like everything else in New York. You know, you get used to all kinds of uh, graffiti. Uh, and uh, so, you know, the thing that I, that I was really impressed by was the aplomb with which my fellow New Yorkers carried it off. I mean, we continued to pretend like we were having an elegant evening. And, uh, yes, and they were all sitting there eating, uh, you know, eating the steaks and, and drinking the drugstore wine and uh, <laughs> eating the rubber, the rubber uh, baking powder biscuits that were being served. And, uh, you know, the $24 a head, and all the while... The, the the crowd up 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 in the building all around us are throwing down the milk bottles and stuff and yelling, <laughs> and that isn't all they threw. Some of the things they threw were kind of obscene. I mean, if you if you if you look at it that way, obscenity. See, but uh, so you know uh, you have to take life the way it is. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you know, speaking of uh, you know speaking of, of of restaurants, I'll tell you, uh, you know, some nights uh, have, have you ever had the fear. Uh, it's a deep-seated fear. People are very nervous about food. Uh, in fact, some people, uh, you know, food can have, because uh, it's a basic function of, of the animal. Food, sex, sleep, reproduction, these are all basic things see, that, that, that we share with all the other animals. And uh, if, you, if you want to see an animal get uptight, it's when you mess around with his food, right? I mean, man, I'll tell you, a bear will just rip your ear right off, you know, if you, if you grab a hold of his bone or something, see? And I've seen little tiny dogs turn into, you know, turn into lions if you mess around with their alpo. Well, man is like that, too. I mean, up to a certain point, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's very basic. And so we have a lot of uh, fears that, that, that go along with food, just like... And now, it, it, what, what it needs, of course, is a Dr. Rubin to write a bad book about it. You know, all the stuff you wanted to ask about hamburgers but was afraid to ask, you know, that kind of thing. Well, they, these, these were... <laughs> You like the title of that book, huh? Well, these these little fears are, are always playing havoc with us. Now, for example, now you're going to say, "What the hell, Shepard, talking about?" I'll tell you what I'm talking about. One of tonight, you're sitting down, you know, and uh, somebody says, "How'd you like a bowl of vegetable soup?" And you say, "Oh, great! Well, well, it smells good." They give you the vegetable soup, and you start shoveling it in. And you're poking away, and all of a sudden you see something floating down there, and it turns out to be a dead mouse in your vegetable soup. Right? You don't like that thought, huh? Okay, well, all right. Now you're agreeing with me. We have basic fears. Now, why? That may be a very hygienic dead mouse. 
probably healthier than you. Well, he's dead, but uh, after all, a lot of people are too. They just don't know it yet. You're <laughs> still walking around. But uh, nevertheless, one night, I won't even tell you where this happened. Well, I'll tell you where it happened. Are you curious? All right. It happened to me in Haifa. Haifa. You know where is it? Haifa, right? Haifa. Now, this is pretty exotic right from the start. And uh, this this friend of mine says to me, he says, uh, you, he says you, wish to, uh, you wish to have a dinner tonight in a very interesting restaurant? And I says, uh, mm, yes, I think so. I think so. See, when I'm in uh, Europe or various other exotic places, I adopt uh, uh, my, my strange middle Europa accent. It's uh, totally undefinable. And I says, yes, I think so. And I says, ah, oh, yeah, you you like uh, you like the Arab food? Mm, mm, interesting. You see, so you can see how I carry out my conversation. So I figure I got you know I'm on top of it. So we go to the Arab quarter. No, you just don't go to the Arab quarter. At least in that city, uh, you just don't get the cab and hail the cab. You just say, hey, take me to the Arab quarter. No, you drive. We try this car to the outskirts of it. We start walking in through this these little narrow streets. And uh, I, I immediately realized I was in for a, an exotic evening, uh, really exotic, because right in the middle of the road, in front of the restaurant, there was a gigantic pig. I mean a pig. I mean a big pig. I mean a pig. I mean, really. How, how long has it been since you've been uh, next to a really full-grown pig? Pretty long, right? Well, you tend to forget how big they are. As a matter of fact, a full-grown pig, I mean a real piggy pig, tends to get almost the size of a small rhinoceros. They are big, man. And so here's this quite big slob of a pig laying there in the street. Gigantic pig. And so we both walk around. They were all dressed up. And everybody's going into this restaurant. And they're all elegantly dressed. It is nightlife in Haifa. And so I get into line, you know, with all the rest of the people. We walk into this uh, Arabic restaurant. And uh, everybody's sitting around little, little tiny tables. And they have this curious uh, Arabic decor. Everyone, you know, it's uh, kind of red, the lacquer, and the, uh, the odd the Arabic figures all over the place. And uh, the waiter comes over, and he speaks a few short words of Arabic to my friend. And my friend says, uh, you, should, uh, you, you wish to have the specialty as a house. I said, hmm, interesting. What is it? He says, oh, uh, uh, is it? Is it? Is uh, how you say uh, in in uh, in uh, in English uh, is a uh, is a ragu ragu is a ragu. I say, oh, like oh, may we, may we, yes, uh, s'il vous plaît, indeed, mon uh, ragu it shall be. And he says to the waiter, ah, too ragu, yes, indeed. And so the her waiter hurries off, and I figure ragu, hell, you know, I can handle that. Yeah, that the ragu is just like stew, you know. So no, no problem. Well, now I'll tell you one thing: when you're in, in a waiter, when you when you're when you're the guest of a, of a, you know the, the Arabic peoples, uh, you are expected to partake of the food. This is a very basic rule of uh, of ordinary civility. Well, the waiter comes and with a great flourish. He produces these two bowls of ragu, and uh, each bowl has uh, on the top of it has a little silver top you with know, a knob on it, a cover, like a tureen. See, it says ah, ragu. And he puts it down in the middle of the table and gives us the two bowls, and he starts ladling it out. He ladles it out into his bowl, and he ladles it out into my bowl. When we are talking, you know, they're like two uh, sophisticated uh, continental gentlemen. 
Uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, pleasantries. Uh, oh, it's, it's a race this year at Monte Carlo proves possibly to be interesting. I believe that Jackie Stewart uh, drives a BRM. Uh, he uh, is a formidable, formidable. Uh, may we? Well, I, I, I'm talking away there, and I take my spoon, and I start stirring this stuff, and I take a sip of it. It's hotter than hell. Oh, I mean, it's like it's melted red pepper, see? Well, I, my eyes water. I continue to speak, and then he stops. He says, how do you like the ragu? And I says, oh, very good, Jacques, excellent. It's a little hot, but it's excellent. I have always enjoyed this sort of food. And for the first time, I look down in the bowl for the first time. I cannot believe what I am seeing. There in the bowl, looking up at me, are floating two gigantic eyeballs. I look, I says, oh, this is uh, interesting. <laughs> this is very interesting. Well, at this point, my, my friend across the table, he takes one of the eyeballs that is in his bowl, and he just pops it in his mouth, and boom, down it goes. He says, oh, I thought you would enjoy this. He's, uh, of course, he's the finest young sheep for eyeballs. The Arabic specialty in the house. Your final play, delicioso. Well, <laughs> I knew immediately, of course, that I was not at McDonald's. But Ronald McDonald did not serve me anything like this, you know, a little pickle early on the side. So, uh, bravely. And that's one thing you've got to say about Shepard. You will say this many times. You've noticed this, Jerry. Shepard, if nothing else you can say about him, he hangs in, right? He hangs in. I mean, I hang in. So, what, down with the whole ball. Eyeballs and all. Well, this impressed my friend. And then, of course, he says to me after the eyeballs, he says, uh, you really do love the fine Arabic food. I can see that. Now let us have something really unusual. <laughs> At which point he called to the waiter, and they speak in Arabic quickly, and the waiter scurries off. Well, due to the fact that there are women and children listening tonight, and uh, there are others of squeamish nature, I will not describe the following entree. But let's put it this way, it was one of the most unforgettable meals that I've ever had. In fact, some nights at three in the morning I wake up and I just see it floating around in the ceiling there, looking down at me, with the claws hanging. Oh, pray, elegant. 